0: May the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. Wake up! Did you hear that in our readings this morning? Did you hear the writer of 2nd Isaiah begin? Wake up! Did you hear John's wake up? Did it catch you, surprise you? We heard yours. That's good. Did Mark's urgent wake up, find you this Advent? The writer of 2nd Isaiah was written, was writing long after the prophet Isaiah, and he was writing. For a new people. He was holding the prophet's words and reinterpreting them for a new time. This time, his audience were in exile, living in Babylon. Judea and Jerusalem were a long way away, the temple and the ark of the covenant long gone. To this people, this people lost in hopelessness, disoriented despairing, feeling forgotten, some may be complacent in their new life and idle, to this people, Isaiah says, wake up, pay attention, listen, God is coming, ready or not. You stand on the threshold of a new age. So let go of your hopelessness, let go of your despair, and embrace all that God is doing. Replace your complacency and your idleness with God's justice and peace. Wake up. Now is the time. And then there's John. The baptizer, standing on the Jordan side of the Jordan River, standing on Wahitapu, holy ground. So, that ground is no longer on the Jordan, because the Jordan moved. So, this is Bethany beyond the Jordan. <coughs> For a long time, people have gone down to the Jordan River on the Israeli Palestinian side and they've thought that's where John was. But the much older tradition that goes back to the 300s, if not before, says that John was on the other side. And that's certainly backed up by the biblical account which talks about Bethany beyond the Jordan. And so this is Bethany beyond the Jordan. And it's only been recently rediscovered until 1994. You couldn't go anywhere near here because this was a border and a minefield. And so the peace treaty between Jordan and Israel needed to be signed, and then they needed to clear out the mines. And when the archaeologists and members of the Jordanian royal family and the administration, uh, the ministry that was responsible for doing this, went down there to begin their work, uh, the king's cousin sent the Franciscan friar-archaeologist out first because he said, you are probably much closer to God and we're not sure all the mines are gone, so you'll be protected. I don't know that the friar was particularly impressed by that thinking. But they did find Bethany beyond the Jordan and they found it because, what's the name of the place up on the hill? The Burning Bush. No. No, where the mosaic is. Yep, yeah, sure look it up. Uh, so there is a, uh, an ancient mosaic that goes back to the Byzantines, the 600s or 700s, and it was a map of the Holy Land, and it shows where everything was, and it shows where Bethany beyond the Jordan was. They were able to find Bethany beyond the Jordan by using that old mosaic map, which got badly damaged when. Greek Orthodox were building a church over 100 years ago, but didn't really understand what they had on the floor. Uh, So this used to be on the Jordan, and on the site was a large Byzantine church and then a Crusader church. And this is the pool where people would go to be baptized or to reaffirm their baptismal powers. This is 1,500 years old, and the Jordan once flowed through here. It's an amazing sight Uh, and when we were there it was pretty dry, Um, the Jordan has moved, but also 90% of the water from the Jordan is now taken out by Israel, Jordan and Syria for um, irrigating, well for water and irrigating crops. So the Jordan is much lower than it was back in the time of Jesus. So this is a brand new Greek Orthodox Church which is very near the, the Jordan River. And this is looking down on the Jordan River from the Jordanian side, you can tell that because there's Jordanian flags. You can't really see the IDF or uh, Syrian army there with their large assault rifles, but they're there, keeping an eye on what's going on. Uh, So it's pretty close. This is what it looks like. That's how close the two sides are. And one of our group, an Australian, did ask out loud what would happen when we were on the other side. What would happen if she swam over the top of that rope across the other side? And uh, the course director said, it would create an international incident. Please don't. (laughs) They're very large assault rifles that those people are carrying. Uh, The tragedy about what the other side is, is that's West Bank. That's Palestine. But Israel has commandeered it and built this beautiful facility on it So that they can make the money off it. So while we went there, the course director felt conflicted about that. That that really should be a Palestinian site. Because actually, all the Christians are Palestinian. So they should be the ones in charge of the site. But it's Israeli Jews who are in charge of that site. So this is the site where John was according to tradition, the old tradition that goes back 1,700 years, on the Jordan side of the river. And this is a sacred place not only because this is where John was, but it's also where the people of God, at the end of the Exodus, as they came up out of Egypt, they stood here and looked across the Jordan River to Jericho, and the way up into the through the Jordanian wilderness up towards Jerusalem, this is the place they would have crossed. And just behind this is a hill, also with churches on it, a little hill. And if you know your story of Elijah, you'll know that Elijah went to Jericho with Elisha, and then they crossed the Jordan, and then they went up a little hill. And that is where... Elijah was taken up into heaven on his flaming chariot. Elijah's hill is right behind us. This is a holy place. It's also a place of thresholds, of new beginnings. For the people of God, a new beginning as they crossed over into the promised land, to the land that they had waited for for 40 years for Elijah. Not Elijah, but Elisha. It was a new beginning, a new prophet, a new ministry started. And now John, standing in this wahetapu, crying, Wake up! There is a new thing happening. People longed for God's new thing. They had suffered under Rome and their own entitled leaders for too long. So they travelled down the road to Jericho the road that ran through the Judean Judean, Judean wilderness. A barren and dry road. And they waded across the Jordan. It was not easy to get to John. He wasn't making it easy for them. They had to be committed to this journey. And they found this strange figure. This figure dressed in ways that echoed, evoked Elijah wearing camels' hair and a leather belt, standing beneath Elijah's hill. And on this place that evoked endings and beginnings, on this place of threshold, he invites his hearers to have their minds blown by God's goodness, to see new things, to see this new thing that God was doing, And he says that Jesus embodies this new thing that God is offering and that John is unworthy to even untie the thong of his sandal. John stands in awe of Jesus and this new thing. And so in his baptism he offers a way for others to stand in awe, to let go of all that blinds them and holds them. And he cries, wake up! Now is the time. And so Mark takes all of this and to his community, which most commentators would say Mark wrote around 70, so right at the end of the Jewish revolt or shortly after the Jewish revolt, when all the horrors of what was happening. In Palestine and around Jerusalem were happening or had just happened to his community that was living in the trauma of grief of all of that the destruction of Jerusalem the destruction of the temple the slaughter and enslavement of the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all of the surrounding countryside to his community that was perhaps divided Apportioning blame to either side. It was the Jews' fault for starting the revolt in the first place. It was the Romans' fault for the way they put it down. Divided in how to respond to this catastrophe. Dazed into inaction and grief. And maybe complacent in their distance from all the horror. He begins his gospel with... Wake up! This fast-paced gospel with short sentences and lots of active words is urgent in its telling, urgent in its demand. Wake up! This is just the beginning. Pay attention. Listen. God has come, ready or not. We stand on the threshold of a new age. So let go of your hopelessness and despair and embrace all that God is doing. Jesus' crucifixion defeated the powers of death. His resurrection affirmed this way of life. Wake up and live this gospel. This is the beginning. The story of the good news of God found in Jesus carries on wake up urgently live it now the world needs it so here we are in advent thinking about preparing for christmas and beyond our world on a threshold with the war in ukraine and israel palestine changing our world with a new government in this land with all it seeks to do and undo. Climate change slowly ramping up. And for this parish, on the threshold of something different, something new. As we hear these readings, as we hear the writer of 2nd Isaiah, as we hear John the Baptiser, as we hear Mark's urgent, Wake up! This is the beginning of the good news of God found in Jesus. What do we hear? As we hear John's call to have our minds blown by God's goodness, how does that help us prepare to celebrate the birth of the Christ child? How does that help us prepare to be part of that beginning? What might we need to wake up to? And what might and what does it mean for us to wake up? So I invite you to spend a moment thinking about that and if you want, to have a conversation with the person next to you.